The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion's making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. All right. Remain standing. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Genesis. We've been doing a series called In the Beginning, and um, we're moving towards a completion. I believe this is the 17th message, if I got that right. And uh, what a time we've been having. We will go through chapter 11. You say, why would you be doing that? And why are you just doing chapter 11? Why aren't you going through the whole book of Genesis? Could certainly go through the whole thing. That'd be great. But the first 11 chapters of Genesis give you a foundation for your life. There are truths in the first 11 chapters that if you don't get planted in your life, then you will be building on the sand. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of information out there. The global community of the internet spreads truth, but also spreads lots of lies. And it's hard to discern that which is true and that which is false if you don't know what's true. Does that make sense? We know what's true from Scripture and so we've been moving along in this series. Tonight, I've entitled the message, Choose, a Curse or a Blessing. It's your choice, what you'd like to have in your life. You say, well, I'm in church, so I'm blessed. Guess again. We're going to get after it. Amen. So I hope you brought a steak knife. Take your Bibles, turn there. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, reading from the New King James this evening. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine. And knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, cursed be Canaan, the servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years and so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the truth of your word tonight. We thank you and ask for revelation to be released to us. Lord, release all that's in your heart. Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do tonight. Have, break in, break out, change us, have your will, have your way, every man, every woman. Every child be brought low, and you be glorified, you be magnified tonight in the name of Jesus. 
Amen and amen. Come on, slap five to about five people, three people, and say, oh, brace yourself. Hallelujah. You may be seated. We do have notes for you tonight. Powerful time we had this morning. By the way, all of these messages are online, kcalaska.com. You can go there. There's a YouTube channel you can connect to. There's uh, uh, podcasting. How many of you know what that is? Podcasts. There's on-demand video where you can connect and watch these uh, and be a part of these messages and get ministered to. Once again, greetings to our, the folks that are gathered out in Talkeetna. God bless you. Amen. Streaming to Talkeetna tonight. Streaming all over the world for those who log in and log on. So don't watch it like you're in TV. Participate. And let God touch you no matter where you are, no matter when you're listening to this. We should put, one of my friends said, you should put a warning notice on all of your podcasts and just say, do not drive while listening to this podcast. <laughs> Let's get into this, an introduction. How do you respond or how do you react when someone fails? I've been around a lot of failure. I've seen people fail. I have certainly failed. And even early on in my walk with the Lord, turned my back and fall, fell, from the Lord, fell away from the Lord. But how you handle someone's failure? How do you handle people when they fail? What is your response? What is your reaction? You see, your response. Or, and really, it's better to respond than to react. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're constantly a knee-jerk re reaction to things in your life, then you're going to probably have a, pretty, a lot of drama. You know, it's good to count to ten. Anybody know that? Oh, just, just count to ten. Just count to ten. You're like, one, two, ah! You need to be get to ten. It's good to count to ten. Just lay hands on yourself. Get filled with the Spirit. Respond. Don't react. But how you respond, or in some cases, people react and determine much of what will take place in the future of that person. And not just the future of that person, your future. Let's talk about that. Noah. Noah's failure. First of all, as we read this, it's striking proof of divine inspiration that the Scriptures are. Really, biblical evidence that man didn't write this. You say, how is that? Because, because the Bible is constantly painting and showing human nature and all its ugly warts and failures, even of its main characters. So its main characters are shown to fail. I mean, it's just like, who would do, th who would do that if you're writing this awesome book? Of course, Jesus never failed. Glory to God. Somebody say hallelujah. But Abraham did. Isaac did. Jacob did. Noah did. Noah. Noah failed. So the ark has come to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Some time passes, and we don't know exactly how much time. But we know that a vineyard will produce a partial harvest in about three to four years. So it's about three to four years, let's say. And uh, a full harvest would come from a vineyard after about five years. But there, there's a passing of time. And he made wine and drank it and got drunk. 
Now, drunkenness is seen in Scripture as sin. And Proverbs 23, verse 29 through 35, talks about the effects of drunkenness. And Hosea 4 and verse 10 and 11 talks about drunkenness. And I want you to put this one up into my media booth back there. 1 Corinthians 6.10. I want you to put that up. Drunkenness, or can we say intoxication. So you can go ahead and put smoking pot, smoking marijuana, getting high on marijuana, you could put in this category as a form of intoxication. I have learned much as I resisted the movement of dope in our community and will continue to do so. I've learned quite a bit. I've found out that there's actually medicinal uh, uses for marijuana. There's creams, there's different things. But if you're using it to get high, I had one person say, I'm not coming to your church anymore because I smoke dope and it helps me with my anxiety. And what I wanted to say is really, if you get, if you really give all your heart to God and you just deal with the fears and the wounds of the past and you break off generational curses and iniquity and you really get discipled, you won't have to battle anxiety anymore and you certainly won't have to smoke dope. And we say, well, what do you know? I know a lot about it. That's a whole other message. I just got myself all fired up in the first five minutes. We didn't, even, we didn't even get into it yet. Intoxication. Listen, don't ever use, don't tolerate that which Jesus sets you free from and then make an idol of something to help you with it. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. Don't tolerate what Jesus died to set you free from and then make an idol to cope with it. And say, well, God made every green herb. Well, why aren't you smoking poison sumac then? Oh, don't put the, put, keep the scripture up, son. Come on. Oh, you better go to verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Verse 10 nor thieves. It's <laughs> awesome. Just like wiped out the whole church. Praise God. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Go to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord. electric in here. Mickey Mouse could preach in here right now. So drunkenness is a problem. It's a problem. And it's rampant in our culture. My wife and I, we, I'm going to need to get a drink of water. Good night. My wife and I don't drink. Don't drink alcohol. We drink other things. We don't drink alcohol. You say, Why? Well, a number of reasons for that. One, I have some Irish blood. 
They're certainly known to be pub goers and drinkers and alcoholics. Two, I have a past that, while I wasn't an alcoholic, I had a lot of other challenges. And I certainly don't want to have another one. Three, I don't want the appearance of evil. I don't, come on, I don't want somebody to look and get stumbled because pastor's bringing a 12-pack home for beer batter halibut. I never want to get drunk. I just want to drink what the Bible calls the new wine. And I will tell you, you can get such a mighty touch by the Holy Spirit, and, and there's no hangover. You can get touched tonight by the Holy Spirit in such a way that all your pain leaves and you could just get intoxicated in God. And there's no hangovers and there's no lethal dosages. You can't overdose on the Holy Ghost. Anyway, I believe the best way to make sure you don't get drunk is don't drink. And then, you know, Jesus said, I'll not drink of the wine Again, till I drink it with you in the kingdom. So, I mean, he's not drinking wine, so I'm not going to. There's a lot of reasons for that. But what's fascinating here to, for me at this text as I studied it over the past few days is there's no words of condemnation. We don't, we don't see a rebuke going to Noah for getting drunk. That's fascinating to me. It's because drunkenness is clearly seen as sin. And it's interesting that Noah gets drunk, but the, the, the text doesn't say, hey, he was wrong for it. He said, well, why is that? Well, I think it might have happened by accident. So how do you figure that? One scientist said that if the world had a water canopy, now we preached on this before, but if there was a water canopy around the earth and the water canopy collapsed, then causing rain and the, the flood that followed, the atmosphere would be different and things would ferment at a much quicker rate. So it is possible to say that Noah made this wine, but didn't realize how fermented it was, didn't realize how strong it was, and, and got drunk. I, we don't really know, but he's not condemned for it, nevertheless. And, and so we see him, he gets drunk here. And what happens is a horrible thing. What happens is Ham, his youngest son, commits a horrible sin. And his sin is threefold. So you, we see Ham saw his father's nakedness. But to understand that, you need to, under, to go and look at the Hebrew, what that means. And, it's, and it ties into Le Leviticus, even chapter 18. We'll talk about that. His sin, what did he do? He saw his father's sin. When his father woke up, he knew what his younger son had dead done. And he said, you are cursed. I mean, the first words from Noah recorded is the cursing of his son's son, which we'll talk about in a moment. Wow. It's a threefold sin. The first one is a sexual sin. The uncovering the nakedness of your father has much to do about sexual relations and Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, you can read through and it, and it gives a, a cataloging of sexual sin. Talks about incest. Talks about, uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's so detailed. And we have children here, and you know, you need to teach your kids that, but at an appropriate age. But clearly, there's a sexual sin that takes place, and you say, "What is it?" Well, we don't know exactly, but 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 why? 
pardon me, but what happens as it plays out in the curse in Canaan, his son, we can tell what the sin was. But it is definitely sexual in nature. The second thing, Noah wakes up in verse 24, knows that something happened to him. The second thing, the second part of the sin is a dishonoring of his father. In the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your father and mother and have a long life. We live well in the land. Well, this converse of that is true. What the Bible says and what it doesn't say, it also says. Honor your father and mother of a long life. Dishonor mom and dad of a short one. That's why you should teach your kids never to disrespect. Don't allow them to back talk. Don't allow them to mouth off. Don't allow them to have an attitude with you, look down their nose at you and treat you like, don't allow that. Why? Because if you do, you'll allow your kids to be cursed. And even the way that he talked with his brother brought dishonor to his father. The third aspect of the sin is division between him and his brothers. In fact, you know what's amazing? If you take, I didn't, I didn't make this the emphasis of the message, but if you take Adam and Noah and you put them all together, there is ten similarities between the two that are absolutely amazing. Really amazing. So division happens between himself and his brothers, and you see division with Cain and Abel, of course. Sin will divide you. And the result of Noah's son's action, these great races here in their embryonic condition, the result of the sin. You say, what do you mean by these great races and their embryonic condition? From these three comes all the nations of the earth. Kind of amazing. And I'll touch on that for just a moment. But Ham's sin. Ham's sin brought terrible consequences. A curse is released and a blessing is released. Both a malediction and a benediction are released over these future nations. Ham's son is punished. A curse is brought on Ham's youngest son. You say, why was that? Because Ham is the youngest son of, of Noah. And so the curse is passed down to then his youngest son, Canaan. It is absolutely generational sin. Now, this is not preached. This is, this, this is I, I don't know, many places serve pablum and hope that nobody gets offended. I, I really hope that you do get offended by the truth so that you can change your life. It is my goal to sniper every lie in your life and raise you up to be a mighty man and woman of God. It is my goal to lock and load my 4570, put the crosshairs on the, on the deception that you might be living in, and with the power of the Word of God. I just want to decapitate stuff because you can live in victory. You can live in freedom. You can live under the power of the Spirit of God and you don't have to pass curses on to your kids. And, and your kids don't have to pass them on to their kids. You know, one of the things that's really motivating us as we're building, in the process of building this building, I am very aware. Now, you might think that Jesus is coming next week, and he might. He might come tonight. But I'm also very aware that it'd be stupid to build just with this generation in mind. So as we set up this property, and as we build, and these are some of the reasons we're, we're a little bit delayed. 
because we're building for many generations so that your kids, 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 should the Lord tarry, would have a place to worship God and serve God up on a hill like a city, like a lamp. Come on, on a, on a lampstand shining like a beacon in the night. When you drive into the valley, you say, that's that revival church. And there you'd be all, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to live at 120. Anybody else? I'm going for 120. A curse is brought on Ham's youngest son. First words out of his mouth were a curse. I just can't get over that. And Shem and Japheth, Japheth are blessed. They're what? They're blessed. Now from Shem would come the Semites. These are the Jews that would come from Shem. And you can look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That would be fulfilled. The seed of the woman. Would you put up Genesis 3? Thank you, son. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Pardon me. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I like another version that says he'll crush your head. He'll bruise your heel, but he's going he's to crush your head. It's talking of the Messiah. A messianic prophecy right there that Jesus would come. And Jesus came through the line of Shem, the Semites, the Jews. And Japheth would become the Gentiles. Most of you are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Would come the Gentiles who would have salvation basically through Shem. Let's read this. This is important. This is, this is revelation. Most of you have no idea where I'm going right now. Please pay attention. You're going to learn something. It'll really help you. And this ties in. You remember the similarities of Adam and Noah? This ties in. Here's the, here's the, the prophetic word of the Messiah comes right here. It came in Genesis 3.15, and it comes right here in the text that we read, verse 26 of chapter 9. Put up verse 26, Genesis 9, verse 26. Put it up for everybody, please. A declaration of the, the truth of the Messiah. Genesis 9, verse 26. No pressure. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Go to verse 27. May God enlarge, enlarge Japheth and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. He's talking now about, there's two different ways to look at this. You can look at it geographically, physically, on a geographical or physical level. But you can look at it on a spiritual level that basically... The, the, the Jephites, the Gentile nations, would come to be in the tents of Shem, would be in the tents of the Semites, would be in the tents of the Jews. A tent is a picture of where the glory. It's a tent, it's a picture of the tabernacle. A tent is a picture of the Shekinah glory of God. That literally the covering, the protection of Almighty God would come under, over the Gentiles through Shem, through the Semites, through the Jews, through Jesus. It's amazing. It really is amazing. 
It's literally a picture of the tabernacle. That the glory would rest not only on Jews, but also on Gentiles who believe. Who believe. That's not all Gentiles, just the ones who believe. To as many as believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Okay, what's God saying to us? Five things. Here we go. The first one is we live in a fallen world. Some people have the mistaken idea that if you were born to a wealthy family, everything would be okay. Some people have the mistaken, mistaken idea that if you're born just to another race, things would be different. I want to tell you tonight that it doesn't matter where you're born or whether you had a silver spoon in your mouth or you had no spoon, that all of us struggle with a condition that's the fallenness of mankind. And it is not the condition of the circumstances in which you were born that's the problem. The problem is sin on the inside of you, on the inside of me. There is a cane on the inside of every single one of us. There is sin on the inside of us. We have a fallen human nature. It's amazing. Remember now, Noah and a family comes out of the ark and they fail. My gosh, all the, all the perverts are gone. They, get, they drowned. The flood came, killed everybody. All the preverts aren't there. I mean, it's really like a white sheet of paper, right? Yeah. Except sin's on the inside. Sin will operate in any structure, even in this perfect world. Eight people come out into a clean world and bam, they fail. Amazing. Makes it clear that we live in a world where our nature, unredeemed, is bent on sin. You need a new nature. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you got a new nature? Go ahead, ask him. You got a new nature? Ask your neighbor. So you need more than a rule book. You need a savior. You need a redeemer. You need a deliverer. God can change you. Come on, that text we looked at in 1 Corinthians 6, and that's what some of you were. I just practically lost my mind and started running around the church again. Some of you stood up and were like, yes, because you know what it's like to be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You know what it's like to be like a West Texas frog. Just, You know what it's like to be tormented on your bed. You know what it's like. To be stricken with anxiety, tormented by night terrors. You know what it's like to hear voices. You know what it's like to live in a world of pain and fear. And listen, if you're here tonight and you don't know what I'm talking about because you still have anxiety, you still have fear, and you're still gripped by night terrors, you're still addicted and afflicted and depressed, you have come to the right place. You've come to a place where you can get free. You've come to a place where there's hope. You've come to a place where there's healing and healing divine. There's hope for you. There's healing for you. There's restoration for you. It doesn't matter where you've come from, who your mama was, who your daddy was, what color your skin is. It matters not what matters if you've come to believe on the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. And he'll come to live on the inside of you. You can get filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Ah, ah, ah. Thank you, Lord. Man, just did my little Holy Ghost dance right over there for a second. On our new carpet. Thank you, Jesus. We have a choice. It's the second thing I see. There's two reactions here to the failure of Noah. There's Ham and then his brothers. Two different reactions, two different responses. Ham and then the two brothers. We can choose to do right or you can choose to do evil. The fact that you and I stand to give an account, listen to this. The fact that you'll come before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for your life, 
is proof that you have a choice to do the right thing or a choice to do the wrong thing. Now, we generally don't like that because we want to blame the person that dropped us on our head. We want to blame the, the fact that we were bottle-fed. We want to blame the fact that, well, it was the government. Well, I didn't have any... You have no excuses. All of those things fall flat when you stand before the Son of Man. You will give an account for your life. You'll stand there, and he'll, he'll just play it all before you. All things are laid bare. Everything's wide open on to him who we must give an account. And it's called the judgment seat for the believer. If you are a believer, there'll be a judgment for you if you're not a believer. If you've not received him. The judgment for the, not, the unbeliever is basically to go to a devil's hell, which was never created for you. But the judgment seat for a believer, though your sins are forgiven, you'll still give an account for every idle word. And you will be rewarded and some will suffer loss. I don't know how you suffer loss and still are in heaven, but it's true. And you have a choice by the fact that there's a judgment seat for you. There's nobody going to be standing there, just you and hopefully Jesus testifying he's mine. But by that fact shows us that you have a choice. I don't really like that. I especially didn't like it in my earlier years because I just wanted God to just do it. Can't you just like open my head, pour it in, and just make me a robot? No, because that's not what love is. Love really chooses to live right. Love really chooses to obey the word. Our call is to preserve the dignity of another without being corrupted ourselves. It's the third thing I see. I love this text right here. This is amazing. I think I've, I've, I've done it before. And I will do it now. Minister Tim, would you play Noah for me? Would you sit here and just play Noah? <laughs> Pastor Alex, would you assist me, please? Okay, here's Noah. This is what Shem and Japheth do. Here, take a few steps that way. They get a cloth. They realize his father, their father's drunk. They realize what's happened. Ham has come and told them. And they say, no, 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 that we can't do this. And they, they come with a cloth like this. And they don't look. And they come back. They back all the way up to Noah. And then they throw it on him like that. They, they cover it. <laughs> That's what happened. Put your hands together for Noah. They walk backwards and they cover him. So many times when people fail, there are those who want to gloat, those who want to point the finger, go, man, I discerned that. I discerned that. I saw that. I saw that. I sensed that. I was in prayer. I saw that. Shut up. You got to preserve the dignity of people. It's not your job to be the finger pointer and point out everybody's issues and problems. Come on, you know that text of Scripture where Jesus says you try to pick the speck out of your brother's eye, but you got a telephone pole in your own. It's, it's a pretty funny picture. I mean, it's kind of like this telephone pole out the guy's eye, and you're like, oh, let me help you with that. <laughs> Do you get the picture? You have a telephone pole. You have a plank coming out your eye. Hurry, you have a plank coming out your eye. Let me help you with that sliver. 
It's impossible. You can't even get close enough. Our call is to preserve the dignity of another without being corrupted ourselves. And there's so much scripture. I, I, think, I think it's because in a strange way, sometimes when people fail, it has a tendency to make those who are insecure feel better about themselves. I've found my own heart at times. I think maybe I'm growing up a little bit now, but I've found in my own heart, you know, just be like, and realize, oh, you wicked man. Uh, don't look at me with that tone of voice. There are some people that gloat over when a pastor falls. Can I tell you something? When a pastor falls, I don't care what kind of a jerk he might have been to you. It is not good for the kingdom. It is not good for anything. It's a horrible thing when a pastor falls. It's a horrible thing when a leader falls. It's a horrible thing when a president falls. It's a horrible thing. The Monica Lewinsky thing, you could laugh and just buy stupid Democrats or whatever you want to try to say, but it's a horrible thing. It defiles a nation. It defiled the Oval Office. And I, I don't know, I hope somebody went in there and just cleansed that defilement off of that place. Yeah. All those years ago, Proverbs 17, be careful that you don't do that. Be careful that you, be careful and try to cover one sin. It doesn't mean that you don't expose wickedness. We do that. We'll talk about that. But be careful to, to protect people's dignity. And remember, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Seed time and harvest. We just taught you about that. You, you, want, you want your own dignity, you know, destroyed? Well, you start living that way for somebody else, and that's what will happen to you, Bubba. Proverbs 17, 5. This is a good word so far. Amen? Proverbs 17, 5. He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Proverbs 24, 17 through 18. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn away his wrath from him. <laughs> you know what's crazy is I know these scriptures, and then I've, I've been persecuted at times. I don't mean burning at the stake, but I mean stuff that happens. And then, you know, they come into some trouble. And, you know, you know those scriptures, so you're like, <laughs> oh, bless him, God. Oh, bless him, Jesus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Instead of, instead of sitting there go, oh, yeah, you realize that's the wrong response. Maybe your heart's not fully into it, so you say, bless him, Lord. God sees everything. We have to deal with evil when it happens in, in such a way to preserve a person who failed and to preserve a person who failed, but also so that we don't defile ourselves. Very important scripture that you turn to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, let me read it to you. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Well, that's a revelation right there. So in other words, if you're not spiritual, you're not walking with God, your heart's not right, you got one foot in, one foot out, and you're, you know, you're, you're just tore up and living a life of compromise, then you're disqualified, son, sir, ma'am. You're disqualified from restoring anybody in the condition that you're in. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. And you can always tell people that are filled with the Spirit because they respond gently. But watch yourself, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way, so fulfill the law of Christ. This is what, this is what Ham and Japheth did. They covered the sin of their father. 
He's saying if you're spiritual, you restore such well. Be careful that you're not tempted into sin. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15, and it reads, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you and Facebook. Is that what it says? Oh. It's a new defiled version. If your brother sins against you, go and tweet it to all of America. No, it doesn't say that. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. You and the person who offended you. Not the person who offended you and your prayer partners and the people down the street and all of your people on Facebook and message everybody and tweet everybody and your Instagram and crowd and all your likers. No. Just the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he'll not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now let me just tell you, that's not, we have never had somebody stand up and publicly humiliate them because of what they did. Now we have had things happen where people had to say, I'm stepping down now because I need to work on things or whatever. We've had that happen. But when it says tell it to the church, that means your leadership. That, that, That basically means me, my staff, and then we deal with that the right way. If someone falls or fails, is it your obligation to tell everyone what the person did? The answer to that is absolutely, emphatically, 100%. No, it is not. Unless, of course, you'd like to curse yourself, which we'll get to in just a moment. What is your obligation? Your obligation is to lovingly confront them if you're spiritual. A, a fallen brother. If somebody offends you, then you're obligated to confront them anyway. I got a call from a pastor today, and uh, he was going into a gas station, and he ran into somebody with a guitar who was playing music for money, and, you know, God bless him. As he approached a man with the guitar who's playing music, the man began to say, oh, yeah, you're another one of those pastors. All this venom just comes out of him. He said, you're probably just like that guy at King's Chapel. So the pastor called me and said, now there's this guy, man. He's talking nasty about you. I said, well, you know what? We must be doing something right, I guess. I know who he is. All the, all the quotes and stuff that he says are all nonsense. He's never called me once. Never. I can't wait to run into him. Just looking forward to it. Just looking forward to it. Listen, when, if, you, if you hear a report about you, one of my favorite things to do, I mean, I really like it. I, I, I enjoy it. Somebody says, I heard that you said I was a bucket mouth. I'm like, really? Who'd you hear that from? Well, I can't tell you. I said, well, actually, you're going to tell me. Because I not only didn't say that, the person who's telling you that is gossiping and spreading lies, and it's from hell. So let's go take the head off that thing. Who told you that? And they go, Sister Bucketmouth told me. I was, at a, I was at an event many years ago, and this person comes up to me, and they say, oh, oh, I heard you said I'm a Jezebel. I said, you did? Who said it? Sister so-and-so. Now, I just happened to see her about five minutes before on the other side of about 500 people. I said, you know what? She's here. Let's go talk to her. And I took her by the hand and went right up to the sister and said, hi, hi. 
yeah, can you just share with her what you just told me? And she said, uh, uh, yeah, you said that, he said that I'm a Jezebel. She goes, I did not. I said, oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. I said, oh, well, she didn't say that. Yes, you did. It was, it was in my small group. You said, you said it. I'm just like. Oh, help me finish this message. Y'all all right? It's not your responsibility to tell the world. It is your responsibility to confront. And I believe that there's some people that are under curses tonight because of the way that they reacted to someone's failure. That's an interesting thought. You don't really think about that. Somebody else failed, but your response to it actually brought a curse on you. Well, hallelujah. Look at D, our sin or our righteous deeds affect the future. Ham's sin affected Canaan, that was his son. Who's not even, you don't even think his son's born yet. Or maybe he is, you know what, I need to go look. But it affected his son nonetheless. And if you read Leviticus 18, a catalog of sin of what was going on in what land? In Canaan's land. So you have this whole catalog of sin of Canaan's land. And is it not interesting, the catalog of sin in Leviticus 18 is a catalog of sexual sin. So what you see passed down to Ham's son, his youngest son, is what? Is a curse of sexual perversion that's on all of Canaan's land. You know, does that sound familiar? Canaan's land. So when they brought, were brought out of the house of bondage, they were to then go into Canaan's land, which is promised to Abraham. And all of the nations of Canaan's land were being evicted because of sin. It eventually reaches its fullness and judgment comes. What was the main sin of Canaan's land? It was sexual sin. Passed down from Father Ham. Wow. Kind of amazing. It's totally corrupted themselves. It's interesting to me. Totally corrupted themselves to the degree that God has to wipe them out and judge them. And this is the way it happens. Sin is done by one generation. Pay attention. Sin's done by one generation, and it absolutely positively affects the next generation. You say, even for believers? Even for believers. And what you need to do is you need to appropriate the blood of Jesus and then you need to set structures up so that that your next generation doesn't do the stupid stuff that you did. And I know some of you did some things. Some of us did some stuff. Some of us sowed some seeds that we wish that we didn't. You can pray for crop failure and I'm all into that. That's a wonderful thing. Oh God, have mercy. Squash that thing out. Oh, 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 ah, Jesus. I'm really praying. That's not preaching. I'm actually praying. And think about what God brought us out of. I think about what God brought you out of, Pastor Cam. What God brought me out of. And I think, oh God, have mercy. Let your blood sever that over my kids. Let that just be severed. Let it be severed, God. Oh God, let that not come down to their kids. Let it not come down on them. In the name of Jesus, I defy that thing. I've prayed that way ever since before they were born. Some of you are clueless to that. And then you see your kids playing out like a play. The very things that you did. And you wonder why that is. You wonder how could that be. It's called generational sin. It's called generational iniquity. Understanding two truths found here in Exodus 20. 
I'm going to try to do this in about 10 more minutes, all right? Understanding two truths found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. Turn there, put it up on the screen. That is that a boy. Way to go. You shall not bow down or worship or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. There's a principle of a passing down of generational sin and iniquity. A, a, a bent, a generational bent, an arrow. Has anybody ever shot an arrow? We've talked about this so many times before, but I realize I haven't touched on this in a little while. Church has grown. Some people are clueless to the fact that there really is generational sin. And so you have to deal with it. Go to Jeremiah 31. Amen. In those days, the people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You see, what God's saying is it's not just generational sin. That's a picture of generational sin. In other words, the fathers eat sour grapes, the kids' teeth are set on edge. That's a picture of generational sin. But Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 is saying, they'll no longer say that because what they would say is, well, it's because of my father, it's because of my mother, it's because, it's because of them and what they did. And they'll say, no longer will they say that. Because you're going to be responsible for your own sin. That's what that text means. Ezekiel 18 and verse 3, the soul that sins is the one who will die. Well, look at your, look at your neighbor and say, aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Come on, good day. So there's a curse that's passed down from generation to generation, right? Then there's your own sin that can actually produce a curse. Of course, then starting, if you have kids, generational sin that continues to the next generation. There's both thoughts. See, some of you are battling lust that's beyond your own lust. Actually, it's the lust of generations that's down upon you. And you wonder why it's so difficult to break that thing. It's because your dad had the same problem and your grandfather had the same problem. Now it's come to you, but you're sitting in this life-giving church, hearing the word of truth, understanding that it is by the blood of Jesus you can cut the head off of that thing. You don't have to be filled with lust. You don't have to be perverted. You don't have to be filled with pride. You don't have to sell your soul for money or for finances. You can be free. You can be delivered. He said, how do I know which one is which? Just assume that all of the generations before probably had sin and just cut them all off that way. There's a dichotomy here. See, the demonic realm revolves around rights. He's the most legalistic entity of all. And if, if he sees that he has rights, then he comes in and he whacks you. He's a bad devil. You see, part of what Jesus' crucifixion was actually the payment. He had to pay. God had to pay that legally... He legally had to buy you back. See, most people don't understand. If you understand that, you're not going to go ahead and continue to live a lifestyle of sin. See, when we do some stupid thing, literally we become meat for the demonic. And if you're foolish enough to continue in it, then you'll, get the, you'll reap the rewards of it, and it's not, it's not good. Generational iniquity. I love this illustration. At Christmas time, uh, mom and her daughter are making a ham. And uh, mom's teaching her how to do that. 
and they pull out the Smithfield ham ready to go. And they got to heat that thing up. And so they cut both ends off. And they take the two ends of the ham and they put it aside. They take the ham and they put it in a pan and then they cook it and glaze it and all that. And the daughter says, Mom, why do we cut the ends off? She says, why? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. We'll have to call Grandma. So they call Grandma, ask Grandma, Grandma, why do we cut the ends off of the ham? And Grandma says, oh, because in the Depression we had a very small pan. In the depression, we had a small pan, and the ham wouldn't fit in the pan, so they caught off the two ends. Yet it continues generation to generation. The, the end of the ham is the best part for the love of God. Oh, my gosh. There's redemption. There's redemption. Everybody say there's redemption. There's hope. Come on, say there's hope for me and my family. Say it. There's hope for me and my family. There is. There has been a deluge of demonic attack on many families. And when that's happening, you have to back away in the spirit, if I could just say it that way. You have to set aside some time and ask the Lord, what's going on? Got to check your own life. Where am I at? Is my heart right? Did you tell me to do something that I didn't do? Or, Lord, have I grieved you? You got to slow down enough to hear his voice. And you have to lovingly discern and ask God to show you what's happening. Learn to cut things off. If you're around somebody who's fallen or failed, be someone who extends mercy, covers their dignity. I don't mean hide their sin. You're supposed to expose sin. There's redemption. Jesus is alive. In the book of Joshua, he sends the spies out to Jericho to spy out the land. And they get in a bit of a predicament. And they end up at a harlot's house. It's a house of ill repute. Got chick kids here. Y'all understand? And they go into this house and Rahab is there. Rahab acknowledges who they are, knows who they are, knows they're coming. It's the Hebrews. Because she heard about how the waters were were parted. She, they, they, she heard about it. And, and they heard, they saw the waters that were backed up all the way to the city of Adam and all the way down to the Dead Sea. And they were terrified. And so she takes these spies and she hides them under flax stalks on the rooftop. And when the officials come to arrest and find them, she lies and she makes a deal with them. And she says, Remember me when you come and you take the city. And they said, if you'll hang the scarlet thread, hang this piece of scarlet thread out of your window, and all who are in your house will spare. If they're not in your house, we cannot spare them. But if they're in your house, when we come, we'll spare every one of them. It's also a picture of salvation. In fact, you could do a, a study of the scarlet thread 
the blood woven throughout Scripture. And that's a marvelous text right there. So they come, they take the city. Do you know what happens to Rahab? Long line of prostitutes, perhaps. I mean, we don't know her whole family lineage. We don't know. And you, I, I, and you might not know your whole family lineage. Or maybe you do, and you're ashamed or embarrassed. But I want to take, tell you, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab discerned rightly what was taking place. And what she did was she got on the side of the Lord. And what ended up happening for Rahab is she ended up in the lineage of Jesus himself. Rahab was a Gentile and ended up in the lineage of the Messiah. You might come from a long line of broken, hurting idolaters, but you can make a difference today. You can change today. You can, come on, this is the first day of the rest of your life. You don't have to be cursed. You don't have to be under a, a curse. You can live the blessing of God. Come on, stand up on your feet and say hallelujah. Tonight, as you've been listening to this message and as I bring this to a close, if you realize, hmm, maybe I have some curses in my family line. I don't want those. Come to the front. We're going to pray. Come on. Just come up. Come on right now. Come, 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 come. If you're not up front, that means you've already dealt with them and you're confident of that. You weren't listening to this message or you'd like to stay cursed. Those are the three options. Move all the way up to the front, please. Let me repeat that. If you're not responding, that means you didn't listen to anything I said, number one. Number two, you've already dealt with all the curses in your family. Or number three, you'd like to keep your curses. And I'm mindful that many of you have done warfare and dealt with them. Come all the way up front. There's lots of room. Come on up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We're just going to make a declaration. We'll cut that thing off by the blood of Jesus. Think about it. If you know some of your family history, think about your grandfather. Think, what was his life like? You think, well, he was a good man. Praise God. But he did drink a little bit. Granddad drank a little bit. Well, then deal with alcoholism. You cut that thing off. And like I said, if you look at your life and you see a propensity in your life for the different areas of failure, you see that? Does anybody know what I mean by propensity? You have a tendency to lean towards things. Come on, there's more room. Come on, all the way up front. It's all right. Come on. All the way, all the way up to the stairs. So you have a bent to lean towards lust or to lean towards pride. Or do you know that there's nations have besetting sins? You know, I, I know we have somebody here from France. Does anybody know what the besetting sin of France is? Man, it is pride. It is absolutely, thank you. Amen. And I heard that before I went to France. And I went to France and it was just like... Wow, I just felt, I felt like a dirtbag everywhere I went. Nations have besetting sins. People groups have besetting sins. Families have besetting sins. Raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. Great. So now you ask Jesus right now. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit. Come on, ask him. Say, Holy Spirit. Show me. The sins of my family. Okay, let him speak to you now. 
And there is what is called identificational repentance. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, when he went and he heard about the walls being broken down, he heard about the walls and how they were broken down, he wept for many days. And this prayer of Nehemiah is absolutely amazing. Because he identifies with the sins of the fathers and calls himself a sinner himself. God, forgive our forgive us our sins, the sins of our fathers. That's a powerful thing to do. And the truth is, if you've never done it, you need to do it tonight. You need to repent for the sins of your fathers. You're alive. You're in Christ. You're in Jesus. Begin to cut that thing off. Repent for lust. Come on, start talking to God. Come on, talk to God. I can't lead you in that. You've got to do it yourself. I cut off those sins by the blood of Jesus. Lord, forgive me. Forgive my family. Forgive my fathers. The mothers before us, before this generation. Come on, talk to God. Take responsibility for it. Some of you are going to get free. Some of you are going to find you're going to leave this place. And this week, you'll be like, my, my, I've got greater liberty than I ever have before. Come on, repent. Come on, repent. You say, do I have to do it out loud? Yes. Very powerful to do it out loud. Lord, forgive us. We break off generational iniquity tonight. We break off generational lust tonight. Lord, forgive our fathers and forgive us. We break off pride tonight in the name of Jesus. We break off perversion tonight in Jesus' name. We break off alcoholism tonight in the name of Jesus. We break off addiction in Jesus' name. We take authority right now. Come on, lift your voice. Take authority. You have authority in Jesus. Take authority right now. In the name of Jesus. We repent for those things. Forgive us. Cleanse, cleanse our family line. Cleanse my family line on the father's side. Cleanse my family line on the father's side. Cleanse my family line on my mother's side. None of these curses, none of these things have come down upon me, upon my children. I break them off by the power and the authority of the name and the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. I break it off tonight. I break it off tonight. I break it off in Jesus' name. You cannot alight. You cannot stay. You will not corrupt the next generation. Come on. Do it. It's real. It's real. If you have the freedom to pray in the spirit, go ahead. Give me a little more monitor, please. Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost. Something's happening. Something's breaking. Come on. The fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. In Jesus' name. Yes.
Lord, in your mighty name. Minister Tim, come and lead us for the sins of Alaska and the people of Alaska. Come on, agree. Agree right now. Service is almost over. Lord God, we stand for Alaska tonight. We ask for repentance, oh Lord. We ask for forgiveness, Lord. We repent, God, tonight. You're native Alaskan. Get on the platform. If you have native Alaskan, please come up on the platform right now. Quickly come. Quickly, quickly. Quickly, quickly. Just stand right over here. Come on, you're going to agree. Come on. We love you. Praise God. This is not a normal service. Something's breaking right now. We are breaking things in the heavenlies right now. God, we stand in this place, God, tonight, asking for forgiveness, oh, Lord God. God, we stand in place of those who have wronged you, O Lord God, where we've fallen short as a nation, as a, as a state, and as a people, O Lord God. We pray, Lord God, for forgiveness. We repent to you, Lord God, tonight. We repent to you tonight, God. We pray, God, for a breaking of the curses over, over the state and over the Native Alaskan people, even that curse of shame. We bind it and break it now in Jesus' name. That which would come to hold back your plans, Lord God, for your people and for this state. We bind it in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, God, for your forgiveness. We repent to you tonight, Lord. Use our state, Lord, for the purpose it's been created for, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord God, I thank you for my people, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for what you're going to use us for. That even right now, you're in the heavenly realms changing our people, Lord God. And Lord God, I pray that every native in this house, Lord God, would rise up and would rise up and call out other natives, Lord God, that they would live for you, Lord God. Lord God, I pray that you bless us, Lord God. Help us to seek you, Lord God. Help us to um, change our state, Lord God. We rebuke and we bind suicide and alcoholism right now in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord God, that right now our people are being called up, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Put your hands together for the First Nations people that are here. Thank you. Bless you guys. One more thing. We'll close. Lord, on behalf of all the the different people groups that have come to Alaska and robbed and raped the land. God, we stand in a place of repentance or greed for finding gold, finding oil, all of that. The religious atrocities that came, things that happened even in your name that were not you at all. The stealing and the robbing of the dance. The ripping off of the culture. Lord, I repent. I repent tonight for the failure of pastors. I repent tonight for those men of God 
across denominational lines who out of their wounds and their own hurts hurt your people. And I ask God that you would forgive me. That there would be a a tenderness that comes in the hearts of those that have been wounded towards the church. And that you would raise up healthy shepherds after your own heart. You would raise them up. I pray for the body of Christ. I pray for the church of the living God. That you would cause your power to be injected into pulpits all across this land. That there would be people and men of no compromise that would preach the word unadulterated, not watered down. There wouldn't be man pleasers or manipulated by money or manipulated by power. They'd be moved by the cloud. They'd be moved by the pillar of fire. Be moved by your presence. I bind, gag, and muzzle every assignment against the church. I take authority over darkness. I take authority over even a spirit of Jezebel. I take authority over the assignments of darkness, even the gates of hell, the upper echelon of darkness and authority that tries to put the church down. Lord, we take authority tonight in the name of Jesus and declare that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Release your power on this land upon us, God, as never before. God, we thank you and we praise you. Put your best hand clap together for God. Come on. Hallelujah. We're going to close tonight, but I'm mindful that you might not be right with God. I'm certainly mindful that there might be those online listening. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you died tonight, God forbid this is your last night. If it's your last night on the earth, you know for sure that you'd go to heaven. Are your sins forgiven? Are you washed in the blood? Are you cleansed? Are you cleansed by the blood? Are you born again? Not a worldly sorrow. That's sorry you got caught. Godly sorrow. Repentance. Godly sorrow brings transformation. If that's you, you're not right with God. Get right with Him right now. If that's you, you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment, just pray right out loud with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son Jesus to die in my place and that He rose again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me. And make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. As a sign of surrender all across this place, lift your hands. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Breathe your breath. Release your power. Thank you that every curse is broken. Thank you that every chain is severed. Thank you for the blessings of God upon us, upon our marriages, upon our children, upon our generation. The sins of the fathers and the mothers 
cut off by the blood of Jesus tonight. We declare it. We declare the truth that you became a curse. Galatians 3. You became a curse for us. You sucked up all the curses on the cross for those who appropriated. And God, we thank you. We receive freedom. We receive healing. There's people being healed right now. Physical ailments are going right now. People are being healed. Sicknesses are going. Sickness is going. There's somebody here with like a chronic chest pain, like a chronic lung condition. The Lord's healing that right now. The Lord's healing you right now. Another person, you've got a problem with your left eye. The Lord will heal you right now. If you'll just receive, be healed. Vision, be healed. Somebody else with a heart condition. You've been fearful of a heart attack. That thing's going right now. You're being healed right now. Any kind of joint pain, carpal tunnel, being healed. Teeth problems, being healed right now. Be healed. In Jesus' name. God, we thank you. Put your hands together, won't you? Take someone by the hand. Let's close. Father, we thank and praise you for what you've done tonight. We'd walk in freedom. We'd walk in truth. That we would not be foolish in the decisions and the way that we live. We would live righteously. Knowing that the way that we live will affect the generations that are to follow. We will walk in freedom and power and authority. It's been purchased for us. We will not live beneath our God-given, blood-bought right for everything that you've purchased for us. Healing is ours. Deliverance is ours. Freedom is ours. The blessing of God is ours. And we declare it. Freedom. We declare freedom over us, over this region, over our state, and prophesy a mighty outpouring. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayer and I will heal their land. God, heal our land. Say that with me. God, heal our land. Say it again. God, heal our land. Jesus name Lord bless you keep you cause his face to shine upon you lift up his countenance towards you be gracious to you and give you peace God bless you don't miss Wednesday night praise God Lord bless you God's on the throne the devil's been defeated hallelujah Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.